Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Praise the Lord. All right, Father, in the name of Jesus, as we go into your word, thank you for understanding and insight, not just information, but transformation. In the mighty name of Jesus, say loud, amen. amen. Now, I, I want to share with you something very important, something that will make you a better Christian. Let me tell you this. Just the same way in the university, not all courses have the same importance carry the same units. There are some curses that are very important. And in your journey of spiritual growth, as you excel in utterance gifts, in power gifts, and in any other gift, if you don't excel, when it comes to understanding of financial stewardship, it all amounts to almost zero. Because when the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil, it means that whatever evil fruit is not showing in your life, as long as money is there, the love of money is there, there is nothing you cannot do. If you have not stolen before, as long as you love money, you can steal. You just haven't done it yet. If you, cannot, if you have not killed before, as long as you love money, the, the right occasion just needs itself. And you will shock yourself. And so this is one very important aspect that we must learn. This is one aspect that makes people look at the church and wonder what do we stand for? Because, I mean, it's one glaring area to mark a difference between us and the world. And so if you're lifting up holy hands on Sunday, but on Monday in the office, you are omitting some places where you need to dot the I's and cross the T's. You know, people are going to call to question the faith that is in you. Because at the end of the day, you cannot serve God and mammon. This is so important. The most popular text in this church is Philippians 1.25. Having this confidence, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. So we are particular about spiritual growth, furtherance in the faith, for you to say, you know what, I've grown spiritually. This is where I was, and this is where I am now. And one major aspect that must be handled is money. Because of all the vices, nothing else struggles for the place of God in your heart like money. Nothing else. Money demands worship. Money demands allegiance. Money wants to be your God. You have to understand this. And so Jesus categorically tells you, you must love one and despise the other. No middle ground. So, that's why we need to talk about this. And I said in the, you know, the first teaching of this series, the problem with the church is not that we talk about money too much. 
The problem with the church is what we say about money. Because like I established, Jesus spoke about money more than he did heaven and hell combined. So, the problem is many times when money is being discussed in church, is spoken about the wrong way. It's the wrong approach. But you must come to a point where you understand we need to talk about this. This is important. Because if you don't have a right relationship with money, your, your, your heart is not healthy. And I want to discuss something Jesus called weightier matters. Weightier matters. You see, I have a very vivid memory of my childhood for some weird reason. I, you can call it a gift or whatever you call it. You know, you've heard me say that I can detail all the major events that happened on my fifth birthday. Some of the events that happened, I'm, when I mean detail, I mean when Nepal took light, when, you know, all those kind of, the people who came, what they wore, I'm weird like that. The evening of my third birthday, I remember. I don't know why. <laughs> you know, the night before my fifth birthday, my uncle gave me a gift, gave me a bow tie. I, I, I remember. The people who offended me, I remember. I don't take it apart, I just remember. <laughs> And so, there was this incident that happened in primary five. I remember exactly the day where I sat, who was teaching, in class. And the very foundations of my mathematics understanding was shaken that day. Because you see, growing up, when they were teaching us basic arithmetics, they would tell you, you cannot subtract seven from five. Because if you have five pencils, you cannot remove seven. Abi? Isn't that what they taught us? And so now this weirdo, at least I thought she was, comes to the board and does two minus five, five minus seven, you know, and all of that. And says, you see, at the elementary stages of your arithmetic knowledge, you were told that you can't subtract seven from five, but you can And she said, five minus seven is minus two. My head was exploding. What is this? What are you saying? And just went on. And it got even more weird when it came to the multiplications. Minus five minus two. The minus sign will... You know, what is this? Isn't life already complicated? I remember I went home, I asked my mom, who's a mathematician, and, and I said, and she said, oh, yeah, that's correct. You see, the same thing applies to a degree when it comes to spiritual knowledge. There is something called baby food when it comes to spiritual knowledge. So when Peter says, desire the sincere milk of the word of God that you may grow thereby, you see, so there is, there is, there is a diet for for children, and there's a diet for adults. You can go past baby food and come to maturity. For instance, elementary knowledge and understanding of sin is different. When we were 
In children's church, they taught us that sin refers to all the bad stuff. Lying, stealing, you know, and all those things. But you see, the scope of sin is broader than that. So, when you begin to learn more about the Word of God, you realize sin is not just an action, but an inaction. The Bible says, anyone who knows what is right and does not do it, to him it is what? Sin. So, when you know the right thing and you don't do it, that's sin. And it's even broader than that. You see, the Bible also will help you understand when you look properly that it is not just sinful to want bad things. It is sinful to want good things badly. So, for instance, it's not a sin to eat, but it's a sin to be a gluten. Are you with me? If you can't control your appetite, you are wrong. It's a sin to be a drunkard. It is anything, even the right things, taking overboard is wrong. So that's like the third definition of sin, right? I'll give you a fourth one. The right thing done with the wrong motive. Now, now the paradox is the very things that were designed to advance your Christian devotion can hinder it. For instance, when you pray to be seen, when you pray so that people can praise you for being a prayer machine. You know what? Jesus says you have your reward. You want to pray right? Go into your closet. We don't need to know on Twitter. We don't need to know on Facebook. God who sees the secret will reward you openly. Now, that's what he says. When it pertains to giving, which is our discussion today, the same thing applies. It says, when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Come on, are you with me? Uh, so, don't give to be seen. Now, this matters. I have a lot to say about that because, you see, in modern-day church, we expect the church to be a PR organization to announce every single welfare initiative just so that the world can know we are doing something. Are you always wrong? So now, I would say with due respect that many churches can do better than they are doing. But I would also say that the churches are doing more than you know. <laughs> they're doing more than you know. Because they don't announce everything and rightly so. See, what the church is doing for this nation when it comes to welfare, ah, my God. Praise the Lord. Come on, I said praise the Lord. I attended Covenant University. What was that? Covenant. <laughs> you know. And um, 
just by proximity, I got to know a little more of, you know, the church that founded that university. And I just, I know for a fact that the image people have on the outside is totally wrong. Now, if you haven't really followed the ministry, you just see that man of God as an overly ostentatious man of God, you know, who just brags and all of that. But that man was the person I learned contentment from. He's the, that man is the reason why I don't have a price. You can't bribe me out of my convictions. Because you will hear his voice echoing in your head. What God cannot give me, may I never have. You know, those were the kind of, you know, never lived above his means. And that tells you something. It tells you what people are shouting about. He's way richer. <laughs> you never lived above his means. <laughs> oh my God. There's some things I wish I could say. Hallelujah. And then, so when I see some of the welfare initiatives, some things I just heard. The entire you know, Idiroko Road, that entire stretch of the church, I don't know if it still happens now, every accident that happens there, he pays from his purse. You know, and so many other things that people don't know. People say, why don't they, why don't they do the road? There are roads that they have been trying to do for close to 20 years. The government didn't allow them just so that they don't take the credit, you know. Okay, give us the money, we'll do it. You know those things. And they said, no, let us do it. All these little things. But now people don't know that. That's just an example. We are a church, not a PR organization. Are you listening to me? Mm -hmm. So many things I wish I could say on this, but time will, time will not permit me. So let's move on. Oh, my God. So that means in my generosity, which is a good thing, I can sin. Are you listening to me? The Bible tells us of a young man in Luke chapter 18. He came to the temple. He came when you were just so braggadocious, and he was saying, Lord, I thank you. Hear prayer that I am not like these other sinful people. I fast twice a week. Listen, is it a good thing to fast or not? Oh, that's impressive. You fast, that's good. Good for you. It says, and I give my tithes of all that I possess. Verse 12. And then, listen, Jesus said, this young man was not justified. Listen, this is the kind of guy you will look at and say, ah, I want to be like this. But he was not pleasing God. Are you with me? I'm teaching you on discernment and proper Bible theology. How to understand the Bible. You see, it's not a straight jacket, you know. Proper theology is almost never yes or no. So now, the Bible says that this guy went home not justified. 
And Jesus said, for whoever exalts himself shall be abased. So now, Jesus said he's proud. You're trying to exalt yourself. This has gone beyond Christian devotion. This is pride. This is arrogance. So the Christian devotion that is supposed to make you better, make you more humble, bring out the virtues that are in you in God, but now make you a horrible person if you're not careful. If executed the wrong way. Praise the Lord. You know I'm telling you this. For instance, some time ago, there was an argument, you know, for or against tithe in the church. And I looked at both sides, at least the people who were most vocal. And do you know who was right? Neither. Neither. I'm going to try my best to prove it to you, to help you understand. First and foremost, look at Matthew 23, 23. Matthew 23, 23. Just something I want to show you. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus used strong language to address the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, whoa! This is a declaration of judgment, judgment against people. This language was used in the Old Testament for strong sins like idolatry. Like this is what you use when you see people who know the living God instead going after idols. When, you know, when they have graven images, you know, and they have calabash and fetish things, you know, the same language that was used for them by Ezekiel is used for the scribes and Pharisees. So now, you want to wonder what did they do to deserve this kind of rebuke? Guess what? Tithing. Not because it's wrong. Now, listen, let's just read it. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. So it's not like what they were doing was wrong. They were hypocritical about it. And I'm going to come to that. It says, for you paid tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted weightier matters. Can you say weightier matters? You have omitted weightier matters of the law. Judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done. So listen, he says, listen, you gave tithe and that's good. You did what you ought to have done. He says, but you shouldn't have left the order undone. So there are some things that you do that disqualify the good things that you do. You have to understand this. So now, Paul tells the church at Corinth, he says, even if I give all my possession to the poor, if it is from the wrong heart and motive, if I have not love, it is nothing. Listen, it doesn't count before God at all. Come on, are you with me? So now, there is a weightier matter, an overarching principle that now guides generosity in such a way that there are some people who are tithing and are not in the will of God. There are some people who are tithing and are in the will of God. There are some people who are not tithing and are in the will of God. 
There are some people who are not tithing and aren't in the will of God. There is a weightier matter that guides and influences all these things. And I'm, listen, oh my God, I wish I had more time to sh share on this. There are five pillars of balanced teaching. Five pillars. You know, I just itemized this just to help our discernment. Five pillars. Number one, correct information. What did I say? So, when you hear someone teach something and you go through the thorough burial approach to check what he's saying, if it aligns with the truth, you are checking for correct information. Unfortunately, this is one out of five. This is one out of five. For many people, this is where their discernment stops. Oh, it's correct. Number two, complete information. Listen, the information can be correct but incomplete. And the devil uses this to trap many people. The fact that it is correct does not mean it is complete. Because half-truth can lead you into a valley of lies. The devil knows this. The devil uses this. So even if it is true that he shall give his angels charge over you and they will bear you up in their wings as eagles, it is not reason enough for you to jump from the pinnacle of the temple because it is also written, thou shall not tempt the Lord your God. I've given you this example a million times. Come on, do you understand this? So if you don't understand the principle of complete truth or corroboration of truth, the devil will use half-truth to lead you <laughs> into lots of trouble. Number one, I said, is what? Number two? Number three, correct application. How is it applied? Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, he comes elsewhere and asks a very important question that explains application. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abide? That's application. And what was his response to that? God forbid. So, yeah, what you're saying is nice. How is it applied? He shall give his angels charge over you. Therefore, jump from the pinnacle of the temple. Wrong application. Please, is anybody being blessed here? Yeah. Number four, correct emphasis. One of the most important rules in theology is to be loud where the Bible is loud and silent where the Bible is silent. It's very important. The emphasis must also be correct. There are some things you shouldn't preach every Sunday morning. You can have a truth and make it the truth. Are you with me? And in doing so, you sin. You err. The emphasis must also be correct. There is a reason we are a church. We have, we, there is something that God has asked us to do. We can get so busy doing other things. We have an emphasis. Amen, somebody. Amen. Number five, which is what I want to dwell on. 
correct priority. Correct. You see, there is something Paul calls vain babblings. Some debates don't take us anywhere. <laughs> Some things he calls old wives' fables. They, they don't add to us. Some things not worth a reply. It's not a priority. One of the simple examples, when it comes to eschatology, which is just fancy theological jargon for you know, study of end things or end times. When it comes to studying what the Bible says about you know, the second coming of Christ and all of that, there are various views. Some people think that the tribulation will start before the rapture. Some people will say that the rapture will happen before the tribulation. Guess what? Some people say the rapture has happened. Oh my God. See, if you, oh my, if you hear their biblical position, at the end of the day, you, you believe Jesus is coming again? Yes. You believe Jesus is coming again? Yeah. You believe Jesus is coming again? I beg. <laughs> priority. Say priority. It, some things are more important. If you say Jesus is not coming again, eh, let's fight. But all those when is <laughs> not as important. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when it comes to tithing, something more important than if it is right or wrong <laughs> is priority. And I will try to explain what I mean. This is what I mean by weightier matters. You see, this generation is stronger with information, but weaker with consecration. So when you look at a lady who doesn't relax her hair because she believes that it's a sin, who doesn't wear makeup because she believes it's a sin, who doesn't wear trousers because she believes it's a sin, you can pull up 50 scriptures to prove her wrong. But guess what? In the grand scheme of things, listen, and this is my priority as someone who is privileged to have an apostolic call. At the end of the day, my priority is the health of the church after the teaching has been done. So now I'm weighing importance, weighing priority. Lady one goes to heaven and discovers, oh my God, all these things we're not seeing, no, I missed. <laughs> but the fact that I was willing to do this developed my consecration in God in a world where even if everybody is doing it, I can choose otherwise. I can come to a room and just by my dressing, you know my conviction. That is more powerful. Do you understand what I'm saying? So now, someone on the other hand has all the Greek terminologies, you know, to explain from the concordance and from the lexicon that all these things, you are a new man in Christ, therefore, all these things don't really count. But you have not exercised your, con your, your convictions. Listen, if you discovered, forget English, forget Greek. If you discovered it was a sin, will you stop? You are pu quickly putting your phone on silence because you don't want the gospel ringtone to ring. 
and you see someone who can go out without a makeup in this generation. Something we evil boys they do now. <laughs> so listen. Do you know you might be sinning to see someone like that and the first thing that comes to your mind is to correct her. That why you know isn't don't you know that the Bible says? Are you getting what I'm saying? That person might be deeper than you. <laughs> you are probably the one who should be taking notes. It, it should make you admire that what? It takes a lot of nerve in the campus to go out like this. You don't care. Because I believe that this is what the Bible says. I'm going to do it. <laughs> that's, that's something you might not have developed. Now, some of you have parents that have not missed type for 25 years. And you feel you are the one to teach them on typing. That oh, it's not a New Testament ordinance. <laughs> you, have, you feel you are the one. You have something to... Do you know what it means not to miss type for a decade? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know what it says about the place of money in your life? The place of God in your heart? Even if you are wrong, listen, you get to heaven and you discover, oh, this thing, <laughs> God was not really looking at it like that. It was just going to, you know, help the church and everything. But the state of your heart, because of that exercise. Then you, because you have five commentaries <laughs> on tithing. No, no, it's not an ordinance. <laughs> My God. Priority. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> when you hear a so-called teaching, and tithing, telling you it's not the New Testament ordinance, and you find respite. Hey, hey. The way this thing was hard, I knew there has to be. <laughs> Don't lie. <laughs> if you struggle with a tenth, maybe it's not a doctrine problem, it's a greed problem. You see, and, and you see, the Bible calls faith a shield. What you believe, your conviction, good or bad, is a shield. And sometimes you can use it as a religious shield to hide something, to protect something. So when you are holding on to the argument on Titan, maybe it's because <laughs> there is something more serious, love of money. That's a weightier matter. Tithing or not tithing cannot take you to heaven or hell. But love of money can. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> it can. And, and that's why you, you now have to be very, very 
intelligent about this, biblical intelligence, to check well, check your motives. Because at the end of the day, don't forget, the way God reasons is totally different. He looks at the heart, not just the action. Even if you give all your, okay, for instance, so now let me come to Titan and the excesses now. There is a big mistake that many tithers have made. Very big error. God's number one strategy for helping us keep mammon or the love of money in his place is generosity. So every time I give, especially when it's painful, especially when I don't feel like it, I'm putting mammon in his place, right? Now, the devil takes that, weaponizes it, and gives us the exact opposite motive for giving. Giving is meant to help us put money in its place. But now, giving has become something you do for more money. And so you've heard 2,000 teachings on sowing and reaping, sowing upwards, sowing to the next level. So now, generosity has become a religious avenue for the practice of covetousness. It is one of the most wicked strategies of the devil. That what was meant to make you better, make you humble, put money under, has exalted money. And that's why you see people who don't fail in tithe but fail in everything else. People who, who will not miss tithe but will not pay their children's school fees. Will, not, will, will owe money. We are not generous to anything or anyone else. It has been happening since Bible days. I want to show it to you. Oh, God. Are you ready for me this morning? <laughs> Look at Matthew chapter 15, verse 4. This one I'm about to read, some of you are guilty of it. And it's very fitting because today is Father's Day, Right? It says, for God commanded, saying, honor your father and mother. When he says honor, he's not talking about prostrating. No. <laughs> when he says honor the Lord with your substance, he's talking about giving money. Are you with me? Yes, Has it ever occurred to you on a day like this, just to send your parents a token, to say thank you for being a blessing to my life? It's a Bible teaching. Are you aware? Now, some people have not missed tithing once, but I've never done this. Oh. So now, you now realize that even if they don't miss tithing, they, they are not generous. They are doing that tithing for the wrong reason. <laughs> it says, for God commanded, saying, honor Father and mother, and he that causes father or mother, let him die the dead. Verse, verse 5. But ye say, whosoever shall say to his father or mother, it is a gift by whatever thou mightest be profited by me. Verse 6. And honor not his father or mother, he shall be free. You know what he's saying? So, <laughs> even if the Bible says honor your father or mother, if you tell your father or mom, oh, I, I, I want to give to church, then you feel that you are exonerated from giving to your parents. 
that because you are a committed giver in church, you think that exonerates you from giving to your parents, giving to other people. You know, some people, it's an either-or situation. Look at all the tithing banter. Some people will say, I would rather, instead of giving to church, give to the poor. Who said it has to be an either-or situation? Who said? Oh my God, you'll be wrong if you only give to church. And you'll be wrong if you only give to the poor. You must put your money where your faith is. You must sponsor the spread of the gospel. Both are important. Come on, are you with me? The, the Bible teaching is this. You must belong to a local church and be committed there financially. And in all this doing, you must also partner, I mean not partner, give and honor your parents. It doesn't matter how rich they are. Doesn't matter how rich they are. Practice generosity. When someone has been there for you, it might even be a senior colleague, not necessarily some, someone spiritual. You know, this generation, our generation in particular, our parents, have you noticed, they don't joke with gifts. When they are going to visit, they, they just, even if it is, you know, juice or something, they buy something. We will just come empty. Hey, guy, how far? It must change. Grow up. Our generation, if they are coming, they are coming to take. What did you cook? It's bad. Are you listening to me? Start practice these things. It's very important. For some people, it's not just the selfishness that Titan hides. It's pride. Pride. You know, some people, they feel they hold God ransom. Any small thing that happens, they remind God, I pay my tithe! be walking on the road and kick a stone. I pay my tithe. Why did my charger spoil? I pay my tithe. My friend, change your charger now. What is, what is all this? They feel even maintenance costs. <laughs> they must not bear it because they pay tithe. You know, and for some of us, it's not our fault. It's the mentality that we were handed down. Let me tell you something. It's not everything that the devil does. Eh? Tires have expiry dates. If your tire got bad, don't say, Lord, but some, some will bring out their titan booklet. You know, this is the are you not weird? Praise the Lord. Do you know that if you give, expecting something in return, it, it, it soars the purpose of giving. It soars the purpose of giving. You don't need to be a Christian to give like that. 
There is, there's a name for that type of giving. It's called bribe. That, what is bribe? <laughs> That's what it is. In the kingdom, you don't give to be blessed. You give because you are blessed. You give because you value God. Anyway, not, let me not get ahead of myself. Hallelujah. I'm taking my time because I'm looking at my notes. There's so much to cover. I'm wondering, you know, if I should touch some things or I should just move on. So now, let me say this to you, and this is very important. Look at the weightier matters, the principles. That's what's important. And that's why when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment of the law? He doesn't say, obey the Sabbath. That one is the most important. Instead, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Because that's the point of everything, love. Come on, are you with me? That's a weightier matter, love, faith, justice, mercy. And many of the people who went into error in the Bible, they meant well. So the command says, observe the Sabbath. Keep it holy. They are determined to. They become overzealous with it. From the interpretation of the Sabbath being don't go to work, they stretch it, don't even do anything. You must not be found even carrying, you know, don't, don't be found carrying anything. And in so doing, the bowels of mercy has become shut off, dried up. And so when you see a man who had been lame 38 years, instead of screaming and praising God and asking, wow, what happened to you? Oh, Jesus healed you. Glory be to God. You know what they say? Oh, you are healed. You are carrying your, your, your bed on Sabbath day. That's a sin. Weightier matter. They lost empathy in trying to obey the Lord. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now, this is very important. So when it comes to tithing, for instance, what is the weightier matter? What is, what is there? Quite all right. In principle, this is what the Bible says. The Bible tells us, everyone as he proposes in his heart, give cheerfully and generously, not out of necessity. I, I'm ashamed, you know, at the way, you know, some pastors just force people there was this video that was trending last, just this past week. We're praying for a better nation. But when a politician shows up, you put him on the spot, trying to force him to give. It's embarrassing. All right? So now it says, not out of necessity. Second Corinthians 9, 7, right? Every man as he proposes in his heart, so let him give. So this is 
New Testament giving, not out of necessity. But there are other things you must consider in this text. Let's look at it together. Come and open your Bibles quickly. Look at verse 6. It says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap how? So listen. Now, a lot of people just hold on to verse 7. As you propose in your heart. You know, in fact, verse 7 seems like a threat. <laughs> if you ask me, if I, that might be a stretch for you, you know. Because he tells you, well, he that sows sparingly will reap sparingly. I can have a whole session explaining what sparingly and bountifully means. It just might not mean what you think it means. But it's definitely a good thing. Come on, are you with me? Now, he that sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He that sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And then verse 7. So in that says, well, so then, as you're proposing your heart, give. And then verse 7, everyone as he proposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or out of necessity. He says, because God loves a cheerful giver. Let me tell you something. A lot of grace preachers try to use some circumlocution to try to dodge this. What do you mean God loves a cheerful? How, what do you mean the love of God will be predicated on something that I do? You know, and they're trying to say, you know, they try to rearrange it. It's just there. It's just there. It's just there. And then you come to seemingly difficult texts that must be understood. Like James chapter 2. When James chapter 2 tells you that Abraham was justified by works. You're like, what? What? Ephesians 2.8 By grace are you saved. Through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. And then when Paul is trying to teach us this doctrine, guess who he uses as example? Abraham. And so in Romans chapter 4, he says, what shall we say that Abraham has pertaining to this matter has found? In verse 2, he says, if he was justified by works, he has whereof to glory, but not before God. Then in verse 3, he says, for what he had the scripture, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So Abraham did not do any work to be declared righteous. He just believed. And then James now, it seems like they're preaching totally different things. James now says, faith without works is dead. <laughs> and then guess who uses as example? Abraham also. And this is what he says. Was Abraham not justified when he offered up Isaac? So then the scripture was fulfilled. Abraham believed God. It was counted unto him for righteousness. You know, sometimes this is what, it just looks like what many people do with Bible texts. Some people use the same Bible text to preach opposing things. So now you're wondering what's he saying here. Both are correct and you must understand this. First and foremost, look, let, look, at, let, look at James chapter 2. Let's look at it properly. 
So understand this. Bear in mind that the same Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. Now, this is Bible study we're doing, right? Are you being blessed? Are you following? All right. Sit up. Sit up. I'm just playing. Don't mind me. I don't even know what that means. Just play. All right. So we are in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, verse 9, it says, Not of works, lest any man should boast. We are not saved by works, right? But in verse 10, it says, We are his, his workmanship. Created in what? Christ to do what? So listen, even if works is not a prerequisite for salvation, we don't need to walk to be saved. If we don't see workmanship in your life, not as a prerequisite, but as a result of salvation, you are not saved. So even if it is not morality that makes you saved, I have the right to judge if you are perpetually immoral that you were never saved. This is very important. So, you know what? John says, anyone who claims to be in the light, 1 John 2, 9, and hates his brother is in the dark even till now. Don't keep claiming grace. Because even if works is not a prerequisite for salvation, it's an inevitable result. You can't claim to have the Holy Spirit and he will not produce in you. Listen, the evidence of the Spirit's influence, what we theologically call fruits of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, all these things. On the other hand, the manifestation of the flesh is evidence. It's evident. If you're a child of Satan, it's not hard to know. Listen, so faith normally begins as a secret. When you believe, nobody is in your heart to see. Because the Bible says, in the, with the heart man believes, right? Romans chapter 10 verse 10. With the heart man believes unto righteousness. So no one is in your heart. No one can tell. But it's only a matter of time because faith is demonstrative. So when you're reading Hebrews 11, you are reading action words. By faith, Abel gave. By faith, Abraham sojourned. By faith, Moses refused. Action words. Faith always substantiates your hope. Your conviction will be demonstrated. So faith can be seen. It begins as a secret, but it never ends as a secret. So when those guys wanted to see Jesus, determined to receive a healing for their friends, and everywhere was jam-packed, you know what they did? They climbed the roof, tore some of the roofing sheets, started hoisting their friend down. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says Jesus saw their faith. Faith can be seen. You can't claim to believe in Jesus and you act the same way the unbelievers act and be saying it is by, it's not by works. You, you, are, you, are, you never believed. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is very important. And now this is the balance between what Paul said and what James is saying. So when you study the stories... I think in Genesis chapter 12, 13, and Genesis chapter 18, the, the two stories are years apart. God did not require anything from Abraham at first. He just said, look at the stars. This is the number of children I'm going to give you. Abraham believed God. It was counted unto him for righteousness. All he needed to do was believe. 
But as time went on, he found opportunity to demonstrate his faith. Come on, are you with me? So much later, God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, and hand him over to me. Listen, one of the major ways your faith is demonstrated is in your giving. And so James is trying to teach you this. And so he says, faith without works is dead. If someone is hungry and comes to you, and all you do is pray and say, be filled, and you don't give the person what is necessary to the body, your faith without works is dead being alone. So he's telling you that your faith must be demonstrative. By faith, Abel gave a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Listen, so this is financial stewardship. The fact that your conviction in God will influence your attitude to God and your generosity. That before you met Jesus, you had the fancy alabaster box and just saving. And then eventually the box, you know, the, the, the resources in the box were so rich, it was a year's wage. And then one day you find a treasure that, that, that supersedes every other treasure that you ever had. You carry that treasure. You break it at his feet. Your hair, that is the symbol of your beauty, that you don't joke with, becomes a rag. You don't care anymore. You begin to use it to wipe his feet. It will always show if Christ is a treasure that outclasses other treasures. It will show. You may be a rich man with reputation like Zacchaeus. When you hear Jesus is coming and the crowd is overwhelming, you don't care about your reputation. You climb a tree like a poor man just to get his attention. It will always show. We might be a crowd. Let worship just go on. And lyrics, edifying lyrics that talk about the Christ and his glory, the fame of, me, of his name, let, let them begin to sing it. The people whose hearts are really circumcised, you will tell. You will tell. Don't tell me um, um, I'm melancholy. It's not true. You are expressive for the things that matter. And that's the thing. The same you who is so shrewd with your finances. When you, when you come to a shop of something you like, the money goes out freely. Have you noticed that there are some things that draw money from you freely? We joke about it. There are memes on it. That your last 200K, just buy it. There are memes on it. And so it is no longer on whether it is right or wrong. The fact that it's a question, a tenth, for this Jesus now. And you want to compare your faith to men of the old covenant. Yes, they were sent ruled, ruled by instructions, ruled by do's and don'ts. But when you see the fact that their giving said something about their faith, that God said, you have robbed me. God had a sense of entitlement to the apostles. Are you hearing this? These were people that the Messiah was yet to die for. And he had a sense of entitlement. He said, you have robbed me. You have robbed me of my tithes. And then you, he has taken out the stony heart out of your flesh, giving you a heart of flesh, giving you his spirit to dwell in you. Ah, your argument must be, don't restrict me to a tenth. That's the only argument permitted. 
restrict me to a tenth. Come on, do you get this? This is, this is, this is the weightier matter. Don't win the battle and lose the war. There are bigger things. There's a big picture here. Where God tells a people group, you have robbed me. He has a sense of entitlement. So he, he's not saying, oh, you didn't give. That's robbery because it belongs to me. That's, that's how God talked. And then he, he, he doesn't, it's not really just a doctrine matter also. It's a needs matter, a necessity matter. Bring ye the tithe so that there may be meat in my house. So now, there is a kind of interest in the house of God, a love for the house of God, a desire for the work of God to spread. That abominates any conversation of, you know, lack of generosity. It, it, it should be abominated in this time and age. When Jesus is coming soon, there is work to be done. Church is to be planted. The gospel needs to be published. We, we need to be charging each other to do more. Come on, are you with me? This is important. So, get off that shield, protecting some things. The real underlying issues. And so he now tells you the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's the major thing. And there is no other way to deal with money than with generosity. You can't pray it away. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't pray greed away. You give greed away. You see, so those difficult moments when you are, have you ever given someone something? As the person is going, your whole body is saying, call him back, call him back. <laughs> That's the flesh dying. <laughs> That's the flesh dying. You need those moments. You need those moments. Have you noticed some of your good ways always look better on other people? <laughs> it's like I'm preaching today, have you? You just give someone, the person will just wait, come. Like, you'll not be like, hey. <laughs> like, <laughs> what have I done? That's it, that's it. Practice it. And I'm saying not just to church. Church is important, you know, to the poor. Let me tell you something. Don't give room to the devil. There is a level of finances you will begin to receive. If you don't create a structure to direct your resources where your faith is, sin will enter. You have abundance now. It is just there. That's when some silly things will be entering your eye. But when you are still single, but you have two people whose school fees are paying, you are paying. <laughs> There are some things that, oh my God, necessity is laid on you. you. You will focus. Let that be the testimony of your life. 
let God prosper dead men, dead men, men who are dead to sin, dead to, do you understand what I'm saying? Where they can come up hither to a point where they cannot tell what is in your pocket by how you act. That's real prosperity. That's when we know you've conquered money. Not that you, 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 you know, <laughs> in party, like someone said, you are spraying 5K and you're doing like this. <laughs> you know? Now you have dislocated your arm. Spraying 5K, you now use 100K to hospitalize yourself. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, practice, oh my God, there are more things we'll talk about later. Have savings. Be smart. Don't let peer pressure make you do silly things. Have a budget. Have a generosity budget. Once you exceed it, except the Lord tells you till next month. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there's a balance to all these things. But at the end of the day, God must look at us as men to whom the God of this world has come and found nothing. We have no price. We have no price. You can't lure us with anything the world has to offer. We found the greater treasure in Christ. Come on, anybody like that here? We found the greater treasure in Christ. We found true riches. And that qualifies us to handle this one. True riches. We found true riches in Christ. Please stand to your feet and worship him right now. Money is just another symbol, another tool for worship. You are going to show money who the true boss of your heart is. Hallelujah. I just wanted to, to give you a few minutes. Just talk to the Lord and worship him right now. Worship him right now. Worship him right now. and let it be consecrated Lord to thee take my moments and my days let them flow sing it again take my life and let Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for hearts responsive to your message. Hearts that are not dull to the cries from the needs of other people. We are generous to the poor, to the cause of the gospel, to our parents. To everyone that we honor and we thank you 
thank you for this circumcision that has taken place in our hearts. And an inordinate desire for money, affection for money has been cut off. And so with selfless ambition, we go about our careers desiring to be better, not so that we can prove to people that we are better, but so that we can be a blessing to our world. Thank you, Father. Glory to your name. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Say loud, amen. Say hallelujah. God bless you. Please be seated. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.